Thank you, Christine. For those of you that um, uh, have weren't there for the week that uh, Christine shared her story, it was a real powerful Sunday. Uh, Christine and Karen Mace are two of our newest elders on our elder team and really um, just very, um, very thankful for the way that they are um, kind of finding their way to serve within the church and uh, to make an impact in our, um, in our larger community. And I hope that's really for each of us. What is, what is the way that God has wired us and gifted us to be a part to contribute. Um, so thank you, Christine, for what uh, what you're doing. And um, this is a time for all of us to kind of explore new ways to to be a part of, of, of things. I wanted to, uh, to share just a, a couple of things with you, um, but I wanna begin with a discussion question. Again, I wanna lean into that chat feature. You may have noticed um, if, uh, if you haven't found it yet, sometimes the, that uh, the chat symbol will light up orange, at least in, on my screen it does, and flashes that lets you know that there is something over there um, for us to, to notice. And there's like links that Christine was talking about. But I want to ask you a question. And this is a good, uh, just a way for you to jump in. And it's kind of just a simple yes or no. You can elaborate on your answer to this. It's going to be kind of a fun question. So uh, no right or wrong on this. Do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in aliens? That's the big question for right now. So how would you answer, um, how would you answer that question? See, we've got uh, John Martin saying no. There's no exclamation on it. So that makes me think John could maybe be persuaded. Um, got another no. Jane just thinks this is funny. I'm being very serious though, Jane. Uh, Mary Beth said no. Cashy, yes. We finally got a yes. All right. Um, Betsy says yes. Um, we have people answering in Spanish. Um, yes. <laughs> so we have 100% uh, yes. So we have some people that are all in. Um, uh, okay. Somebody is saying, why not define? Uh, so help me define alien. Well, that's a good question. And we are going to um, to define uh, what an alien is. We're gonna answer that question in just a little bit. Actually, I'm gonna let the Bible answer it. Who knew that the Bible talked about aliens? So um, so we're, we're starting this series. We're gonna walk through 1 Peter, and I've titled the series Exiling in Place because um, here's, here's kind of the gist of what was taking place to put a little cultural context around this. Uh, the, the Hebrew people of the Old Testament and the Jewish and Gentile Christians of the New Testament were very familiar with being exiled. They were people who regularly found themselves on that outer fringe of society looking in. Uh, this happened sometimes because they just wandered off and were disobedient, but sometimes, and this is more the case that Peter is addressing in this letter that we're looking at, they were called to a way of life that was rooted in love, a very selfless, sacrificial love. And, and they were just kind of looked at um, differently because of this. They lived according to the unseen, not the seeable and visible material world. And that's what this passage today is, is pointing out. Um, 
there is a suffering that we can experience that is a suffering of disobedience. We've done something wrong. We've made some mistakes. Therefore, we suffer for it. But there's also a suffering for walking according to the claims of Christ. There's a suffering that takes place even, even to no fault of our own. We find ourselves suffering. And I thought this was a great example. To, there are so many people right now that are suffering um, due to this global crisis pandemic, and it's of no fault of their own, but there is an element of suffering. So uh, I think this, this whole uh, book, the five chapters of, first, uh, of Peter's first letter, have a lot to say to us in this time that we're in. And we're going to um, look at this, uh, this book of the Bible for the next uh, few weeks. But uh, these people lived fully present in the moment, in the midst of, of their exile, so to speak, but they also lived for a day that was yet to come. So let's, let's jump into this, and uh, I'm going to read uh, beginning in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. And another reason why I've chosen this passage, I'm, so I'm going to put this in the, uh, in the chat feature as uh, I'm about to read it. Another reason I chose this passage is because it is one of four um, readings from the lectionary. Uh, for this week, First uh, Peter is highlighted as one of the four readings for the next several weeks. And so there are Christians around the world that are following this reading plan. And, and so we are linking ours with brothers and sisters around the world as we look at, at this passage. Um, it begins by, as all as, as was traditional in the letters of that day, it begins instead of saying, dear and who it was written to, it begins with saying who has written the letter. And uh, so Peter begins by identifying himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is who he is writing to, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, verse 1, depending on what translation you're looking at, it reads, um, to God's elect, to those who are resident aliens. So that's where I got the question, do you believe in aliens? Um, the Greek words for resident aliens, it's, it's two words, Sigourney Weaver. No, just kidding. Um, movie, aliens, movie. Um, I'm just right now in the silence of my garage. I'm hearing the, just the deafening laughter echoing all throughout Marin at uh, my stupid joke. Anyway, there, is, there are, uh, is a literal Greek word that is translated resident aliens. And what it implies is alien nationality as well as temporary residence. So it's, it's a picture of residing with a people to whom you do not belong. And this was something that I want, us, I want that to really get etched in our heads there. This picture of an alien that Peter is discussing here is a picture of someone who is residing with people to whom they do not naturally belong. And he goes on to kind of describe how they came to this place where they're, they're among people that they didn't originally belong to. It says that they are scattered throughout the provinces of, and he relates them, and it's, he kind of names them in an order. If this letter was being delivered, it's kind of the mail route. The, the, the route that a mail carrier would take for this. Um, 
This refers to the Jews who are no longer living in Palestine, the scattered, uh, but are now dispersed um, among other Gentiles who are now, uh, some of them are beginning to follow Christ. But more than that, it's this, this term for exiles or aliens is a metaphorical term describing Christians who are spread out as God's people in the midst of a godless world. They are exiles in their particular place. So if we were to, um, if we were to take this kind of literally for, for what we're doing right now, um, it would be more like Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are dispersed from the four walls of Bay Marin and are scattered out in San Rafael, Novato, Mill Valley, Fairfax, the city, you kind of get the picture. He's saying that right now, Maybe you're not, um, you're not where you would necessarily be, where we would all be in that one building. Um, but he's also talking to people that were scattered due to persecution because life became very difficult and they were forced out um, in their living. So it, it's more than just a geographic displacement, though, even though it names those different places. They are not only displaced to various areas, they're displaced within those same places. So Peter is writing to people who saw everything that the world of their day had to offer, but chose to live based on a different set of values, principles, and priorities. It's in that way that they felt like, I don't know that I really belong here. They know that this is where they are, and uh, this is God has placed them there, but there is that feeling of, this is not my permanent home. So let's continue. The second verse of 1 Peter 1 says, um, These people have uh, been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Um, to sprinkle with Christ's blood in the Old Testament was always talking about this type of purification. And so he is saying to those of you who have been made pure, who have been made right, um, as I talked about last week, um, to those of you who have been made good because of the goodness of Jesus. But it's also alluding to the way that uh, the sprinkling of blood, we are aligning our lives with one who suffered, Christ, who laid down his life and his blood was shed for us. So we are made, we align with him because of the way he purifies and cleanses us. But we're also saying, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to make some sacrifices and lay my life down to live like Jesus lived. Let's keep reading and we're going to come back to some of these things. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So he, he's beginning to, in this fourth verse, he's beginning to kind of describe um, what comes to those who are resident aliens, who are exiling in place. Uh, they realize that there is an inheritance that's different than an earthly inheritance. This is one that will not perish, spoil, or, or fade. And it's kept for you in heaven. Verse 5, who through faith 
are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're going to come back and kind of wrap things up with verse 8. But I mentioned this earlier, Israel kind of has a history of, of exile. Um, there were several times in their history where um, they not only had a history of being in exile, but actually of thriving in exile. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4, says, um, this is a great passage. I'm going to copy and paste this also into the link. if that goes in there. All right. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You may know of, you may know of some Christians who um, are so, maybe you've heard the phrase, heavenly minded, um, but no earthly good. What what is being described here is, I want you to have this heavenly mindset, but you are going to be of tremendous good to this world that you are in. He has left us here and called us here to play a significant role in impacting, influencing the spiritual ecosystem of Marin, of, of putting God's fingerprint, thumbprint on all that has taken place. Um. So he is saying uh, Jeremiah and Peter are writing to people who are exiling in a place that was not their home, but encouraged them to rise up and thrive in place. Thriving when displaced. Now that phrase, as I got to thinking about what does it look like to thrive when displaced and who do we know that is displaced? This theme in 1 Peter is one in which perhaps no one can relate to more than foster kids and foster parents. And this experience is heightened even more during the unique challenges of sheltering in place. Peter addresses suffering, the kind of suffering that occurs not because a person sinned, but simply because the world has dealt with them harshly due to no fault of their own. And this is where I began to kind of, in my mind, make this connection one example of this is due to no fault of their own, foster children live with the reality that the world has dealt with them harshly. Foster children know better than we will know 
uh, what it's like to exile in place. Um, I don't know how many of you know uh, Barbara Sabido, uh, Barbara and Tom, um, Max and uh, others and their family, they're um, very well known and loved by a bunch of us at Bay Marin. Marin Foster Care uh, is what uh, is the, Barbara is the director of Marin Foster, Foster Care. And uh, Barbara, are you, are you unmuted? Are you with me right now? with you. All right, great. I can, I can hear you. Um, could you uh, just begin by telling us a little bit uh, about how you and Tom got involved uh, to begin with in this great ministry? I'd love to. Uh, this is one of Tom's favorite stories, actually, because um, for about 10 years, the idea of being a foster parent had been kind of brewing in my head, but it was, it was so far back here that I hadn't sort of accepted the truth of it for myself. And I certainly had never shared it with Tom. And I was at a little league game watching our number two son, Sam, play baseball. And one of his teammates was in foster care. And I met his foster mom at this little league game. And we started talking and I went home and I said, hey, Tom, I've been thinking about this for about 10 years and I think it's time for us to be foster parents. And our, our, at the time, our sons were 13, 11, seven and four. And I, I startled Tom quite a bit by saying that I wanted to take in more kids, but I also wanted to take in kids that, um, that we couldn't keep, that we were only gonna hold for a short time and then either watch them go back to their biological families or watch them move into a, uh, an adoptive home. Um, but trooper that he is, he went to the training with me and 15 years later and 16 foster kids later, we're still really enjoying um, the choice that God made for us. That's awesome. What a, it's a, it's a story that uh, kind of with every day has a new, <laughs> new uh, chapter, a new page in this, in this story that's being authored. Um, we've got some pictures that are going to, that are coming up. Um, so this is something that um, as if this wasn't already a, just a great need for us to discuss, could you talk about how this current shelter in place has made this even more complicated for the kids and for the foster parents um, now that we're in these shelter in place orders? Yeah, definitely. This has really um, affected our kids so much because number one, um, before these kids ever entered care, you know, they were living in homes where they were experiencing abuse or neglect and school was their safe place. It was a place where they could go and kind of escape um, the trauma in their home, but they also, um, school gave them that stability and that structure that all kids need to thrive. And school gave this to these kids. And when they entered a foster home, they were able to kind of start experiencing that structure and that stability um, in more places. Well, now these kids have all, have lost school again. 
So all the kids that are in foster care right now, they're being re-triggered by that additional loss of something that they needed to help themselves feel safe. And then that's compounded by the fact that their foster parents um, who already were giving so much to these kids are now being asked to homeschool them. And homeschooling kids when you weren't prepared to do it, but then homeschooling kids who are being re-triggered by the loss of that school experience is forcing our foster parents to, um, to experience things that they've never had to deal with before either. So we kind of have this maelstrom of trauma and emotion going on in the homes. And then if that weren't enough, um, Children and Family Services, which is the government body that, you know, investigates and sometimes removes children from homes, they're preparing for more kids to enter foster care once this shelter in place is lifted because teachers are mandated reporters. These are people who are legally required to report abuse or neglect. And without the teacher's eyes on these children, um, we're really worried about what is going on in the homes that were marginal to begin with, but with the extra stress of loss of job, loss of income, um, food scarcity, uh, we're preparing for when these kids do return to school to all of a sudden have teachers calling the hotline saying, okay, we've got a situation here that has gone past that level of comfort that we had. So we're also sort of getting ready for what happens when all the kids go back to school and, you know, kind of scared about what the kids are experiencing in their homes right now. Yeah. Um, you, are, you are such a great voice making, making, helping us kind of become aware of this. And how can we, <laughs> um, how can we, um, maybe this is how can we as a, as a church body partner with you and how can we individually just to get quiet? I want to kind of challenge all of us uh, on this call to just kind of be still within ourselves and invite God to speak to us personally. Um, as we hear you say, what are some ways that we, um, that we can be a part of this of offering love? to foster parents and kids in the system. Mm, yeah, thank you for that opportunity. Um, well, if you've ever, as I did, entertained for the last 10 years, maybe, the idea of being a foster parent, um, but never thought that it was the right time, um, I encourage you to, to start making some of those steps that are required to become a foster parent. Um, there's an orientation, there's trainings. It's not something that can happen overnight, but it is something that if you've ever thought about it, it would be a great time to start making those steps now as we prepare for more kids to enter the system um, once this shelter in place is lifted. Uh, but beyond that, um, I ask you guys to pray for the kids that are in foster care right now but also pray for those kids um, who are living in homes where there are no mandated reporter eyes on the situation. Because those kids in particular, 
really need some protection. Um, the Marin Foster Care Association, we're always, we're always fundraising because we have to keep the programs that support our foster kids and our foster parents funded. And so if you're feeling at all inspired or a little goofy, um, post a video of you and your family doing some sort of dance um, and post it to your Facebook or your Instagram page and tag Marin Foster Care Association because our annual Dance-a-thon fundraiser is coming up in a couple weeks and the more people that post videos and share it with their friends and family, the more energy and enthusiasm um, we generate and um, hopefully then the more donations we generate as well to keep our programs um, fully funded. And you know, there are a lot of people on this Zoom call who have already supported Marin Foster Care Association in the past. They've donated to Team Cibito um, just in this 2020 Dance-a-thon fundraising um, season. And so thank you to all of you, and you know who you are, who always say yes whenever I ask. Um, but, you know, if you've got some friends that you would want to um, invite to support us as well. Oh, all the links are on the page and you can also just email me or text me um, and I can send you all the URLs as well. Right. When, um, you know, a part, I, I think a picture of being, um, of being the type of alien that, that Peter is talking about, of, of someone who lives in this reality of the unseen world, who's living according to God's kingdom principles of love. Um, one evidence of that um, is that you might need tissues by your side <laughs> as, uh, as you get engaged in that. Um, I, I know that this is the type thing that, that breaks God's heart. Um, Jesus was very clear in giving us instructions to reach out to the vulnerable, to those who are in need, to those that don't have a voice for themselves, um, to the fatherless in particular. And so um, we're going to, in the chat feature, there's going to be uh, the links there that will help um, even in a more direct way that you can copy and paste uh, and, and get to uh, just to learn more about Marin Foster Care. Um, and ways that we can contribute. I think uh, you had mentioned to me also that, um, you know, uh, contributing via gift cards and things like that. I think that's mentioned on the website, other ways that um, we can give directly to that. Um, I just want to pause and I just, I just want everybody to join me in prayer um, for how God might be moving, not just through your organization, Barbara, but through, through us to be a part of what, what you're doing. So I'm going to pray. Um, and uh, Father, I thank you for your heart, for the children that are or will be in uh, the foster system. Um, I pray for those who have been serving with such a sacrificial love um, those are, again, we are reminded of just a new set of heroes that are on the front lines. And I thank you for those foster parents that are heroes. I thank you for 
uh, the Sabitos and others like them who are out there um, living according to uh, just in uh, kingdom principles of, of love. Uh, Lord, I, it is with, um, maybe even with a little bit of fear, I want to be still and say, God, what are you saying to me? And Lord, if my, you know, my spiritual family at Bay Marin, uh, just if we would just be still before you and ask you, what is our part in this? Lord, we are, we are inviting you uh, to poke and to prod us and uh, to play a part of showing your love. Uh, thank you for the ways that you use the most adverse of circumstances to bring these needs to our attention and uh, for inviting us into being a part of your solution, of your uh, showing love. Lord, bless the work of Barbara and Tom, of Barbara's team. Um, this is a holy calling that you are working through Moran Foster Care. And we ask your spirit to be very much at work. And in your, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. This passage in 1 Peter, um, it's, it's just a reminder that in times of uncertainty and getting squeezed, which I know so many in our church are already feeling um, just the challenges of this new normal that we're in, it would be natural to think about hunkering down and hoarding and hiding. It would be natural to just kind of say, okay, what is this? Uh, what's best for me right now? And I want to point us back to verse three. Peter writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This phrase, new birth, it's, it's a spiritual regeneration, and it, it stresses the change that takes place uh, at conversion, but it's also our participation in the life of God that will follow. And so he is reminding, Peter is just reminding his readers of their identity as Christians. And so what I want us to realize as we think about uh, what is our role and our identity, um, a Christian is not merely a convert to a belief system or someone who can recite a new doctrinal statement. Uh, a Christian is one whose love and affection for Christ is the all-consuming passion of his or her life every day. If this is not the cause that God has put on your heart, what is? He is inviting you to share the love and affection of Christ in an all-consuming way. A Christian is one who is being transformed from the inside out, and this inner transformation is a regenerating work that realigns our allegiances. In other words, this isn't just a just an emotional impulse where we go, oh, wow, that's something that I want to be a part of. It is recognizing that it is because of God's work in me that I'm going to be able to share Christ's love with the world. 
it's a recognition that in my own strength, I'm going to get worn out, exhausted, tired. I'm going to be cranky, frustrated, out of sorts. But even that can be transformed and God's love can shine through me as I make myself available in this time of, of exiling in place. So I asked you a question earlier using the chat feature. Um, do you believe in aliens? And so I hope that you believe not only that biblically these aliens exist, these people who live according to biblical principles and, and the love of Christ. Um, I hope that we are aliens <laughs> in that sense. But if you were to fill in the blank, and this is like from a classic alien type movie, um, where an alien lands on Earth and they make this statement, take me to your blank, fill in the blank for me. Use the chat feature to fill in that blank. Take me to your, everybody knows it, take me to your leader. Um, if I were to say to you, take me to your leader, would that person be Jesus? See, the leader is the culture definer, the decision maker. As the leader goes, so goes the follower. And this new birth in Christ is what sets us apart from being a social club or another cause-driven nonprofit. We are inherently social, and we are inherently working towards justice. Why? Because Jesus was social like none other, breaking barriers and bringing unity. Why? Because Jesus always brought justice, emphasizing the poor, the vulnerable, the outcast, the foreigner, the fatherless. It's possible that we can do really good things, yet when someone says, take me to your leader, we take them to ourselves. But the aliens that Peter is writing to are those whose leader is Jesus. It's his life and his strength that pulses through our veins. Otherwise, we would quickly grow weary in well-doing. It is his example of living a fully human life on earth, a fully human life that brings the invisible kingdom of heaven to light, that makes the unseen a more visible reality. What characterizes the life of a Jesus follower who is exiling in place, in this place of Marin. Peter gives several examples, and I'll kind of wrap up with this. Um, in verse 8, he gives this example. Though you have not seen him, seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Exiling in place is to live by the unseen, not the seen. This is how I would kind of describe it. Um, my kids and I, are you familiar with the, the uh, slug bug, the game you would play in a car driving around and when someone would see, the first person that would see a Volkswagen Beetle would yell slug bug and you'd get a chance to pop the person next to you in the shoulder. It was a very violent game, I'm not sure why. Um, we played a modified version of that, and we, uh, we called it the Jeep game. And we would keep our eyes out for Jeep Wranglers. And the object of the game was simple. It was just to be the first person 
to see the next Jeep coming down the road or parked in a driveway. And when you saw it, you simply shouted out Jeep, followed by the color of the Jeep. And for whatever reason, saying the color legitimized your discovery to those around you. Jeep, yellow one, Jeep, black one, whatever. There was no slugging involved in our Jeep game. Well, one day in particular, the kids were beating me as we were driving around. Uh, they were beating me in the Jeep game. And so I thought of a creative way to cheat. <laughs> With no Jeeps in sight, I shouted, Jeep, clear one. And Callie asked me to repeat the color. I think Callie was about six years old at the time. She was like, what color? And I said, it was clear. Then I explained that because it was clear, they missed seeing it. But I, on the other hand, I can see clear Jeeps. It's just an ability that I have. And she gave me one of those really sad laughs, like, I'm so sorry that you are a dad and that is the best you can come up with. It's kind of one of those kind of, <laughs> kind of laughs. Dad, you're really weird. Um, but then in her little six-year-old wisdom, she began asking really interesting questions. Dad, are the tires clear too? Did you just see a driver floating down the road or is the driver of a clear Jeep also clear? I thought those were great questions. And of course, I on this spot made up a bunch of bogus answers. Here's my point. Peter is saying that a Christian sees the unseen. A Christian develops sight for clear things, invisible things. And what do I mean by invisible things? I'm referring to what can only be seen by faith. Peter and the Christians to whom he was writing and commending believed in the real world and that the real world coexists with the seen physical world. Don't miss what I just said there. In other words, the unseen kingdom of heaven, that is the real world. More real, in fact, than the physical world with which we are so familiar. The visible world is not separated from where uh, we live this invisible spiritual life, where our true uh, spiritual citizenship belongs. The two worlds are actually tightly woven together. The seen material world is temporary. The unseen spiritual world is real and lasting. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was talking to Tom and Barbara about Moran Foster Care, after that conversation, Tom sent me an email to help me see the invisible world of someone in foster care. And this is, this is what Tom emailed me. He says, all the things that people are experiencing related to shelter in place and the coronavirus, and then he listed several, fear, doubt, anxiety, anger, sadness, not being able to do your normal routine, being in a home but not feeling at home, not being able to go to the places you normally go, not being able to see your family, adapting to new habits and routines. These feelings are the same for foster children the range of feelings that foster children can experience when placed in foster care. What we are experiencing as a temporary sheltering in place is a long-term reality for children in foster care. Tom helped me see the unseen. He helped me see what God sees when he looks at these kids. God is allowing us to see what was perhaps previously unseen. 
the world through the eyes of a child. And here's one way that we as aliens can live. We can play, not the Jeep game, we can play the God game, perpetually looking for the invisible God. Where is he at work? I want us to be a people whose lives are highlighted with shouts of God, clear one. <laughs> in the beauty of nature, in the commonplace of the daily, in the danger of persecution, even in the heartbreak of something that we see right in front of us, all things can be made visible to us through the eyes of faith as we begin to see this world as God sees this world. I believe that a Christian is one who lives life wide awake, paying attention. My richest days are simply this, when I can shout, God, clear one. I'm on the lookout for God, for the ways in which the beauty and the good of an invisible spirit touches the visible through the imperfect and dangerous of the world around me. My richest and most soul-satisfying days are spent walking by faith ordering my life around the unseen because I'm so convinced that the invisible God is ever present with me. And as if you couldn't guess, ordering your life around the unseen is not the norm. When everyone around you lives for the material and you are relinquishing the material to better grasp the immaterial, then you can expect to live as an alien, a stranger in this world. It's going to sound weird, but I can't tell you how excited I am at the thought of recreating a culture of Christ followers who celebrate not fitting in with the world. I want us to consider becoming, in that sense, an alien, stranger by the day. We are resident aliens in this world. We are called to thrive while we are exiling in this place. So let's be so consumed by seeing the invisible that we are making known God's kingdom right here, right now. And then the world around us becomes so curious as to the faith and the hope that we live our lives that they look at us and say, take me to your leader. And we take him to Jesus. Now I want us to think about communion want us to kind of turn the corner. And um, I keep asking God, what forms of suffering are in our very near future as a world, as a country, or here in our own smaller communities? And I want to talk more about suffering next week and how God uses suffering in such a, a supernatural way. Um, but for now, as we think about communion, um, I do find myself turning to God for some type of an answer that would help me kind of rationalize things so that I can then feel at peace in the midst of all the chaos right now. But I keep coming back to this deep sense that God promises to be present with us in our suffering. As I ask God how to avoid the impending suffering or how to fast track my way through it, he keeps saying, I will be present to you in the suffering. So just as we, um, as we take the bread and the cup, just want to remind ourselves that communion itself is not the answer, 
Uh, but it helps us remember that Jesus became the answer when he himself suffered, died, and was resurrected. Jesus is not the internet that you turn to in order to get an answer. He became the answer by entering into suffering when he offered his body and his blood that was shed. He was being the answer. He was saying, I am in this suffering with you. And his resurrection told us that suffering will not have the last word. So in your home there, if you have access to, to that bread and to the cup, we want to remember and enter into what God set before us as an example. We want to remember Christ who said that um, when we eat this bread, we are remembering that his body was offered up for us in the midst of suffering. Take this and eat in remembrance of him. And Jesus, as he was facing intense moments um, just around the corner of intense suffering, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, um, we are celebrating this new covenant that we have, this new relationship that we have in Christ. Do this in remembrance of him.